Section 8 of the History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Walters. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 1, Chapter 2 of The Chemical Knowledge Possessed by the Ancients, Part 3. Tin, in the time of Pliny, was used for covering the inside of copper vessels, as it is at this day. And, no doubt, the process still followed is of the same nature as the process used by the ancients for tinning copper. Pliny remarks, with surprise, that copper thus tinned does not increase in weight. Now Bayan ascertained that a copper pan, nine inches in diameter and three inches three lines in depth, when tinned, only acquired an additional weight of twenty-one grains. These measures and weights are French. When we convert them into English, we have a copper pan 9.59 inches in diameter and 3.46 inches deep, which, when tinned, increased in weight 17.23 troy grains. Now the surface of the copper pan, thus tinned, was 176.468 square inches. Hence it follows that a square inch of copper, when tinned, increases in weight only 0 0.097 grains. This increase is so small that we may excuse Pliny, who probably had never seen the increase of weight determined except by means of a rude Roman statura, for concluding that there was no increase of weight whatever. Tin was employed by the ancients for mirrors, but mirrors of silver were gradually substituted, and these in Pliny's time had become so common that they were even employed by female servants or slaves. That Pliny's knowledge of the properties of tin was very limited, and far from accurate, is obvious from his assertion that tin is less fusible than silver. It is true that the ancients had no measure to determine the different degrees of heat, but as tin melts at a heat under redness, while silver requires a bright red heat to bring it into fusion, a single comparative trial would have shown him which was most fusible. This trial, it is obvious, had never been made by him. The ancients seem to have been ignorant of the method of tinning iron. At least, no reference to tin plate is made by Pliny or by any other ancient author that I have had an opportunity of consulting. It would appear from Pliny that both copper and brass were tinned by the Gauls at an early period. Tinned brass was called Ura Coctilia and was so beautiful that it almost passed for silver. Plating, or covering the metal with plates of silver, was gradually substituted for tinning, and finally gilding took the place of plating. The trappings of horses, chariots, etc. were thus ornamented. Pliny nowhere gives a description of the process of plating, but there can be little doubt that it was similar to that at present practiced. Gilding was accomplished by laying an amalgam of gold on the copper or brass, as at present. 7. Lead appears also to have been in common use among the Egyptians at the time of Moses. It was distinguished among the Romans by the name of Plumbum Nigrum. In Pliny's time, the lead mines existed chiefly in Spain and Britain. In Britain, lead was so abundant that it was prohibited to extract above a certain quantity in a year. The mines lay on the surface of the earth. Derbyshire was the county in which the lead ores were chiefly wrought by the Romans. The rich mines in the north of England seem to have been unknown to them. Pliny was of opinion that if a lead mine after being exhausted, be shut up for some time, the ore will be again renewed. In the time of Pliny, leaden pipes were commonly used for conveying water. 
The vulgar notion that the ancients did not know that water will always rise in pipes as high as the source from which it proceeds, and that it was this ignorance which led to the formation of aqueducts, is quite unfounded. Nobody can read Pliny without seeing that this important fact was well known in his time. Sheet lead was also used in the time of Pliny, and applied to the same purposes as at present. But lead was much higher priced among the ancients than it is at present. Pliny informs us that its price was to that of tin as seven to ten. Hence, it must have sold at the rate of six shillings, quarter pence per pound. The present price of lead does not much exceed three half pence the pound. It is therefore only one forty-eighth part of the price which it bore in the time of Pliny. This difference must be chiefly owing to the improvements made by moderns in working the mines and smelting the ores of lead. Tin, in Pliny's time, was used as a solder for lead. For this purpose it is well adapted, as it is so much easier smelted than lead. But when he says that lead is used also as a solder for tin, his meaning is not so clear. Probably he means an alloy of lead and tin, which, fusing at a lower point than tin, may be used to solder that metal. The addition of some bismuth reduces the fusing point materially, but that metal was unknown to the ancients. Argentarium is an alloy of equal parts of lead and tin. Tertiarium of two parts lead and one part tin. It was used as a solder. Some preparations of lead were used by the ancients in medicine, as we know from the descriptions of them given us by Dioscorides and Pliny. These preparations consisted chiefly of protooxide of lead and lead reduced to powder and partially oxide and partially oxidized by triturating it with water in a mortar. They were applied to ulcers and employed externally as astringents. Molybdena was also employed in medicine. Pliny says it was the same as galena. From his description, it is obvious that it was lethargy, for it was in scales and was more valued the nearer its color approached to that of gold. It was employed, as it still is, for making plasters. Pliny gives us the process for making the plaster employed by the Roman surgeons. It was made by heating together three pounds molybdena or litharge, one pound wax, three hemini or one and a half pints of olive oil. This process is very nearly the same as the one at present followed by apothecaries for making adhesive plaster. Simithium or cerusa was the same as our white lead. It was made by exposing lead in sheets to the fumes of vinegar. It would seem probable from Pliny's account, though it is confused and inaccurate, that the ancients were in the habit of dissolving cerusa in vinegar and thus making an impure acetate of lead. Cerusa was used in medicine. It constituted also a common white paint. At one time, Pliny says it was found native, but in his time all that was used was prepared artificially. Cerusa usta seems to have been nearly the same as our red lead. It was formed accidentally from Cerusa during the burning of the Piraeus. The color was purple. It was imitated at Rome by burning Silas marmarosus, which was probably a variety of some of our ochres. 8. Besides the metals above enumerated, the ancients were also acquainted with quicksilver. Nothing is known about the first discovery of this metal, though it obviously precedes the commencement of history. I am not aware that the term occurs in the writings of Moses. We have therefore no evidence it was known to the Egyptians at that early period, 
nor do I find any allusion to it in the works of Herodotus. But this is not surprising, as that author confines himself chiefly to subjects connected with history. Dioscorides and Pliny both mentioned it as common in their time. Dioscorides gives a method of obtaining it by sublimation from cinnabar. It is remarkable because it constitutes the first example of a process which ultimately led to distillation. Cinnabar is also described by Theophrastus. The term minium was applied to it also, till in consequence the adulteration of cinnabar with red lead, the term minium came at last to be restricted to that preparation of lead. Theophrastus describes an artificial cinnabar, which came from the country above Ephesus. It was a shining red-colored sand, which was collected and reduced to a fine powder by pounding it in vessels of stone. We do not know what it was. The native cinnabar was found in Spain and was used chiefly as a paint. Dioscorides employs minium as a name for what we at present call cinnabar, or bisulfurate of mercury. His cinnabar was a red paint from Africa, produced in such small quantities that painters could scarcely procure enough of it to answer their purposes. Mercury is described by Pliny as existing native in the mines of Spain, and Dioscorides gives the process for extracting it from cinnabar. It was employed in gilding precisely as it is by the moderns. Pliny was aware of its great specific gravity and of the readiness with which it dissolves gold. The amalgam was squeezed through leather, which separated most of the quicksilver. When the solid amalgam remaining was heated, the mercury was driven off and pure gold remained. It is obvious from what Dioscorides says that the properties of mercury were very imperfectly known to him. He says that it may be kept in vessels of glass or of lead or of tin or of silver. Now it is well known that it dissolves lead, tin, and silver with so much rapidity that vessels of these metals, were mercury put into them, would be speedily destroyed. Pliny's account of quicksilver is rather obscure. It seems doubtful whether he was aware that native argentum vivum and the hydrargium extracted from the cinnabar were the same. Cinnabar was occasionally used as an external medicine, but Pliny disapproves of it, assuring his readers that quicksilver and all its preparations are virulent poisons. No other mercurial preparations, except cinnabar and the amalgam of mercury, seems to have been known to the ancients. Footnote. The ancients were in the habit of extracting mercury from cinnabar by a kind of imperfect distillation. The native mercury, they called argentum vivum, that from cinnabar hydrogyrus. And footnote. 9. The ancients were unacquainted with the metal to which we at present give the name antimony, but several of the ores of that metal, and of the products of these ores, were not altogether unknown to them. From the account of Stimi and Stibium, by Dioscorides and Pliny, there can be little doubt that these names were applied to the mineral now called sulfuret of antimony, or crude antimony. It is found most commonly, Pliny says, among the ores of silver and consists of two kinds, the male and the female, the latter of which is most valued. This pigment was known at a very early period, and employed by the Asiatic ladies in painting their eyelashes, or rather the insides of their eyelashes, black. Thus it is said of Jezebel that when Jehu came to Jezreel, she painted her face. The original is, she put her eyes in sulphuret of antimony. A similar expression occurs in Ezekiel, for whom thou didst wash thyself, paintest thine eyes, literally, put thy eyes in sulphuret of antimony. 
This custom of painting the eyes black with antimony was transferred from Asia to Greece, and while the Moors occupied Spain, it was employed by the Spanish ladies also. It is curious that the term alcohol, at present confined to spirit of wine, was originally applied to the powder of sulfuret and antimony. The ancients were in the habit of roasting sulfuret of antimony and thus converting it into an impure oxide. This preparation was also called stimmy and stibium. It was employed in medicine as an external application and was conceived to act chiefly as an astringent. Dioscorides describes the method of preparing it. We see from Pliny's account of stibium that he did not distinguish between sulfuret of antimony and oxide of antimony. Some of the compounds of arsenic were also known to the ancients, though they were neither acquainted with the substance in the metallic state nor with its oxide, the poisonous nature of which is so violent that had it been known to them it could not have been omitted by Dioscorides and Pliny. The word sandaraki occurs in Aristotle and the term arenicon in Theophrastus. Dioscorides uses likewise the same name with Aristotle. It was applied to a scarlet-colored mineral, which occurs native and is now known by the name of Rialgar. It is a compound of arsenic and sulfur. It was employed in medicine both externally and internally, and is recommended by Dioscorides as an excellent remedy for an inveterate cough. Auripigmentum and arsenicum were names given to the native yellow sulfurate of arsenic. It was used in the same way and considered by Dioscorides and Pliny as of the same nature with Rialgar. But there is no reason for supposing that the ancients were acquainted with the compositions of either of these bodies, far less that they had any suspicion of the existence of the metal to which we at present give the name of arsenic. Such is a sketch of the facts known to the ancients respecting metals. They knew the six malleable metals which are still in common use and applied them to most of the purposes to which the moderns apply them. Scarcely any information has been left us of the methods employed by them to reduce these metals from their ores. But, unless the ores were of a much simpler nature than the modern ores of these metals, of which we have no evidence, the smelting processes, which with the ancients were familiar, could scarcely have been contrived without a knowledge of the substances united with the different metals in their ores, and of the means by which these foreign bodies could be separated and the metals isolated from all impurities. This doubtless implied a certain quantity of chemical knowledge, which having been handed down to the moderns, served as a foundation upon which the modern science of chemistry was gradually reared. At the same time it will be admitted that this foundation was very slender, and would of itself led to little. Most of the oxides, sulfurets, etc., and almost all of the salts into which these metallic bodies enter, were unknown to the ancients. Besides the working in metals, there were some other branches of industry practiced by the ancients so intimately connected with chemical science that it would be improper to pass them over in silence. The most important of these are the following. 2. Colors used by painters. It is well known that the ancient Grecian artists carried the art of painting to the highest degree of perfection, and that their paintings were admired and sought after by the most eminent and accomplished men of antiquity and Pliny gives us a catalogue of a great number of first-rate pictures and a historical account of a vast many celebrated painters of antiquity. In his own time, he says, the art of painting had lost its importance, statues and tablets having came in place of pictures. Two kinds of colors were employed by the ancients, namely the florid and the austere. The florid colors, as enumerated by Pliny, were minium, arminium, Cinnabaris, chrysocolla, purpurissum, 
and indicium purpurissum. The word minium, as used by Pliny, means red lead, though Dioscorides employs it for bisulfuret of mercury or cinnabar. Armenium was obviously an ochre, probably of a yellow or orange color. Cinnabaris was bisulfuret of mercury, which is known to have a scarlet color. Dioscorides employs it to denote a vegetable red color, probably similar to the resin at present called dragon's blood. Cryoscala was a green-colored paint, and from Pliny's description of it could have been nothing else than carbonate of copper or malachite. Purpurosum was a lake, as is obvious from the account of its formation given by Pliny. The coloring matter is not specified, but from the term used there can be little doubt that it was the liquor of the shellfish that yielded the celebrated purple dye of the Tyrians. Indicum purpurissum was probably indigo. This might be implied from the account of it given by Pliny. The austere colors used by the ancient painters were of two kinds, native and artificial. The native were sinopis, rubrica, paritonium, melinum, eretria, oripigmentum. The artificial were okra, cerusa, usta, sandaraca, sandix, syracum, atramentum. Sinopsis is the red substance now known by the name of reddle and used for marking. On that account, it is sometimes called red chalk. It was found in Pontus, in the Balearian Islands, and in Egypt. The price was three denarii, or one shilling, eleven and one quarter, pence the pound weight. The most famous variety of Sinopsis was from the Isle of Lemnos. It was sold, sealed, and stamped, hence it was called Sphagris. It was employed to adulterate minium. In medicine, it was used to appease inflammation and as an antidote to poison. Ochre is merely sinopis heated in a covered vessel. The higher the temperature to which it has been exposed, the better it is. Leucophrum is a compound of 6 pounds sinopsis of pontus, 10 pounds cirrus, 2 pounds millennium, triturated together for 30 days. It was used to make gold adhere to wood. Rubrica, from the name, was probably a red ochre. Peritonium was a white color, so called from a place in Egypt where it was found. It was obtained also in the island of Crete and in Cyrene. It was said to be a combination of the froth of the sea consolidated with mud. It consisted probably of carbonate of lime. Six pounds of it cost only one denarius. Melinum was also a white-colored powder found in Melos and Samos in veins, it was most probably a carbonate of lime. Eretria was named from the place where it was found. Pliny gives its medical properties, but does not inform us of its color. It is impossible to say what it was. Auripigmentum was yellow sulfuret of arsenic. It was probably but little used as a pigment by the ancient painters. Cerusa usta was red lead. Sandaraca was red sulfuret of arsenic. The pound of Sandaraca cost five ass, as it was imitated by red lead. Both it and okra were found in the island Topazos in the Red Sea. Sandix was made by torrifying equal parts of true sandaraca and sinopsis. It cost half the price of sandaraca. Virgil mistook this pigment for a plant, as is obvious from the following line, Sponte sua sandix, pacentis vestiat agnos. Syracum is made by mixing sinopsis and sandix. Atramentum was obviously from Pliny's account of it, lamp black. He mentions ivory black as an invention of Apelles. It was called elephantinum. 
There was a native atramentum, which had the color of sulfur and got a black color artificially. It is not unlikely that it contained sulfate of iron, and that it got its black color from the admixture of some astringent substance. The ink of the ancients was lamp black mixed with water, containing some gum or glue dissolved in it. Atramentum indicium was the same as our china ink. End of section 8. Recording by April Walters.